Well, good morning. My name's Matt McKinney, and I am an elder here uh, at the church, believe it or not. Um, I'm older than you look, than I look. Trust me. Uh, thank you. I paid some people to laugh, so that's good. It's working. Um, my wife makes me look younger than I am, but I'm quite a bit older. But no, a joy to be able to come and to teach. Um, every time Jerry hears that I'm preaching, teaching, he, he leaves to go out of town. And so I told him I'd say that so he could hear that when he listens. But we're going to have fun today. I'm excited. I'm excited to look at God's word, Psalm 113, a call to praise. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From this time forth and forever, from the rising of the sun to its setting, praise the name of the Lord. So woke up this morning, so I'm supposed to be praising from this morning all through the day and to the end of the day. This psalm begins and it ends with the word of praise. The psalmist calls on all servants to praise his name. For all the world, from the east to the west, because of why? Because the Lord is worthy. We see a call to praise in verses 1 to 3. And then from 4 to 9, we see a cause. What's the cause to praise? 4 to 9, the Lord is high above the nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is enthroned on high? who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with princes of his people. He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. So in this, in this text, we see two reasons to praise the Lord. One, because of his greatness. We see that in four and five. Thankfully, we serve a God that does not stay in his own greatness. But from a distance, rather, he comes down and he graciously intervenes in our affairs. Because of his grace, we see that in six through nine. There are two examples of that. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. Here's the cool thing. God exalts the poor and the needy. And in these verses, to places of prominence and prosperity. You may be asking, I'm going to ask some questions for you today because I know you're good students. But you may be asking, what does exalt mean? This is cool. Exalt means hold, to hold something or someone in very high regard to think of or to speak highly of. So God exalts us. He exalts us from what? The ash heap. The ash heap is a pile or a mound of ashes and other waste, trash or rubbish. I couldn't wait to say rubbish. I was waiting to see if the Samways are here. I don't see them. But rubbish, this waste, this filth, and God comes in and he says, hey, you're the poor 
and the needy, and I'm going to snatch you up. I'm going to grab you. I'm going to rescue you from this. Aren't we all standing around the ash heap? But the Lord comes along and takes us the lowest in society and places us with princes, the highest in society, because he is what? Gracious. And obviously, I don't want to teach the prosperity gospel here, but he's not going to take every poor person and give them physical prosperity and wealth. But when he does it for some, don't miss this, his grace is evident to all. He's capable of doing that. We see a second example of his grace in verse 9. We see this with the barrenness often resulting in shame since the status of a woman, unfortunately, is, is sometimes and often in that day was determined by her ability to bear children. And so we see this, this barrenness here. But the cool thing is, is we see several women in the Bible even women today, are given kids. Sarah is one. If you're taking notes, Sarah is one. Rachel's one. Hannah is another that's given children. And to the Israelites, this was the mark of a blessing. So here's the cool thing. We have things that are, and this is where we're going to camp out today, our, our identity, who we are. He takes our shame. And shame is not part of our identity here. We're actually on the other end of the spectrum. My wife and I have four kids. So we have shame in another way because people look at us weird. Like, why do you have four kids? That's weird. You're only supposed to have two or 2.3 or 2.5. So we have to battle that. So whether you're poor, whether you're a prince, or barren, guess what? Praise the name of the Lord. He takes the impossible. He makes it possible. We see, if you're taking notes, Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. 2 Corinthians 12.9, it says, and he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. As staff and elders, we do, we write devotions during the week. We're in Psalms right now. Everything's in Psalms. We're, we're going to be there for a while. So I was writing a devotion a couple weeks ago, Psalm 86, and this just really stood out to me, where David, it says, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. And it's really cool because David's this mighty man, he's this warrior, and he's coming to God and he's saying, hey, I'm needy, I'm afflicted, I need your help. And often God uses our times of struggle and deep pain as a catalyst for us to reach out to him. But even still, we struggle with what? Our pride. Because guess what? We want to fix it on our own. It's humbling to slow down and to admit that, hey, guess what? I need help. I am poor and needy. It's encouraging to see him say this. His pride, too, could have easily 
served as a barrier, but he chooses to reach out to God instead. He's asking God to teach him his ways, to change his heart, and to show goodness towards him. And later in this text, if you go on and read, he also spends some time thanking God for who he is and what he's already done in his life. So here's the question. I'm a counselor. I, I work with marriages quite a bit in my private practice in this area, and I ask a lot of questions. I do marriage and family counseling, work with individuals as well. But here's the thing. If someone asked you if you'd rather be poor and needy, or if they asked you, would you rather be rich and self-sufficient, which one would you choose? Okay, so here's the mirror I'm preaching to myself. So you're all, it's all good. If we're honest, if I'm honest, I would rather be the one that has it all together, the most eloquent, the best preacher, the best counselor, the best teacher. But in actuality, that's not the case. And honestly, it's a really dangerous place to be. Guess what? Because it puts the focus on me. It puts the focus on my ability. And my abilities are going to fail. So the dependency is on me and not God to speak in and through me. So in God's economy, that doesn't work very well. It's not the rich and the powerful that get his attention. But guess what? The poor and the needy. I love what a local pastor says here. You might have heard of him, Matt Chandler, the Village Church. He says it's, it's okay to not be okay. It's bothering some of you. He follows it up with this. You just can't stay there. It's okay to not be okay. We just can't stay there. So we must decide to get healthy and to begin to view ourselves the way that God sees us. And so the question is, do we want to get healthy? Do I want to grow in my relationship with Christ? That's one of the mistakes I made coming out early on. I thought everybody that came to see me wanted for me to help them. That's pretty humbling. When I find out that's not really the case, they don't really want to change. But God, that's not where God camps out. He wants us to change. He wants us to be poor and needy and to depend on him and not ourselves. And so the way we see ourselves is a big deal. It's a choice that we must make on a daily basis. And all of us at some point or sometimes struggle with our identity. We seek out people, we seek out money, we seek out things, we seek out status, we seek out race, we depend on social media, and the list goes on and on and on to fill that void. But the problem is, is all of these things fail, they crumble and they leave us with a broken identity and expectations that go unmet. So that's what I want to do. I want to camp out the next few minutes with, because of God's grace, 
because of his goodness, how does that affect and determine our identity? So what lie are you believing about who you are? You thought this was going to be a fun sermon, didn't you? It is. Because guess what? What lie we believe, we begin to combat that with the truths of God brings freedom. And so that is fun. So what lie are you believing? Stephen Furtick, I just lost some of you, in his book, Crash the Chatterbox, some people like him. I'll be very honest with you, some people don't. I tend to like him. Some people like me, some people don't. <laughs> I'm watching you. He says, the voice you believe will determine the future you experience. The voice you believe will determine the future you experience. I know there's other factors, but think about it. Our thinking leads to our feelings, which leads to our behavior or the action. He goes on to say the term chatterbox is his way of representing that what we are believing, the negative belief, is what keeps us from accurately and actively hearing God's voice above all else. So what are you listening to? God's truths or the enemy's lies? I love Psalm 139. It says, oh yes, you shape me first inside, then out. You form me in my mother's womb. I thank God, hi God. I thank you, hi God. You're breathtaking, body and soul. I'm marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life are prepared before I'd even lived one day. I love the poster out here that the kids see that we see. It says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. A person's value has no relation to wealth or to skin color or to status. My value doesn't change based on my circumstances. I draw this in my office. I'll have to, y'all just have to bear with me. Our circumstances are like this roller coaster, the ebb and flow up and down. Matt, if you preach a good sermon, man, you're awesome. Your identity's up. Your self-worth is up. Go home this afternoon. I feel down. I'm going down. My circumstances ebb and flow, right? Are y'all with me? Or is it just mine? Everybody's circumstances ebb and flow. And then our identity, if you take our identity and you run this line across, it's constant. Jesus says, hey, your identity is the same. I love you the same. Your self-worth is the same. The identity, your identity in Christ doesn't ebb and flow and go up and down based on the day or the moment that you have. He says, I love you regardless. The problem is we put our identity on that roller coaster. But he says, hey, it doesn't ebb and flow. It's consistent. How do we know? Matthew 3, 
17, it says, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The cool thing, God knew all of my sin, past, present, and future. And he said, Matt, I love you, and I'm going to sign up, and I'm going to die for you. That's how I know my identity doesn't ebb and flow. In a couple weeks, Lindsay and I share, we'll share our 13th anniversary. Awesome, thank you. And <laughs> seriously, I thank her all the time for staying. <laughs> but I wonder, I have to wonder if she saw the timeline. Matt, this is what you're going to do. This is who you're going to be. Past present and future and she's a spiritual person no disrespect to her but would she have signed up and God says I sign up for you so where's your focus on God and who he is or on you and who you're not how do you see yourself but maybe the better question is how does God see you? When I think about that, I got to look at look to Moses, Exodus 3 and 4, where he talks about God is the great I am. And at times we feel inadequate, we feel insecure, even when others say we shouldn't feel that way. And if so, you're certainly not alone. We all feel that way. And God first spoke to him. Moses was this man filled with insecurity and fear. And in this burning bush, remember the burning bush, but wasn't really burning? The Lord supernaturally appeared to Moses, and he was instructing him to confront Pharaoh. And Moses did what? He argued with God. He felt he was a nobody. He didn't have the authority. He didn't have credentials. He wasn't skilled. He didn't have confidence, and the bottom line is he felt totally inadequate for the job and terrified of failing. Man, does that resonate with anybody? It does with me. And on top of all that, guess what? He couldn't speak well enough. He told God, hey, can you send someone else? Because I can't do it. But God wouldn't accept his excuses, would he? He told Moses in Exodus 4, 11 through 12, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? No, go and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So take comfort in this. That God knows your limitations, guess what, better than you do. And those limitations cannot impede the work the Lord has laid out for you. And just as God used Moses to lead an entire nation to freedom, God will work in and through you to accomplish the purposes that he has. You know how I know? Because of this. Philippians 1, 6, it says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day 
of Christ Jesus. God is the creator of all things, who is in control of all things, and plans all things. Surely, he is able to use us. However, often the problem is not that we don't believe God can do it. The problem is we don't believe that he can use us. And so we say things like, I am not blank enough. I am not eloquent enough to teach this sermon. I am not smart enough. What are some of those things you put in that blank? We often ask ourselves questions like, what if I am not enough? What if I fail? What if they reject me? What if they don't accept who I am? You know, some of those same questions Moses was asking. And we forget. We forget Exodus 4. But guess what? God in Exodus 4 calls himself what? The great I am. The great I am. And because I am, you are. Because I am, you are. And you can go and you can do it. The difference is in him, is in the I am. In my office, I have this frame that sits right over my client's head. So I remember when I forget, it says, I am deeply loved, completely forgiven, fully pleasing, totally accepted, and complete in Christ. Those things help me to, to not believe the lie that I'm not good enough, that I'm not forgiven, that I'm not accepted. 1 Peter 2.10, it says, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. So what are you believing? You want to change behavior? What are the lies that you're believing? In preparing for this sermon, text, I kind of get a... a pray through it and work through the, the dynamics and start to work on it. And then as I do that, if, you're, if you teach or prepare, you're looking for illustrations and looking for listening to songs and things like that. And um, I was doing that. I was listening. I love music. So I was listening to the radio and like, hey, what, what can I get? I, I, I really wanted to be a worship pastor. I was really close, but I couldn't sing and I couldn't play an instrument. <laughs> so, but my, my uncle's a worship pastor. But I love music. I love music. And if you've heard the song, You're Beautiful by Mercy Me, it just hits this perfectly. And I wanted to read the whole song to you. My wife wouldn't let me. She said, that's way too long. So I, I clipped it down a little bit. Days will come when you don't have the strength, when all you hear is you're not worth anything, wondering if you ever could be loved, 
And if they truly saw your heart, they'd see too much. Before you even took a breath, long before the world began, of all the wonders he possessed, there was one more precious of all the earth and skies above. You're the one he madly loves. Enough to die. You're beautiful. In his eyes, you're beautiful. Get this. You are meant for so much more than all of this. You're beautiful. You're treasured. You're sacred. You're his. I hope that you've gotten, gotten some things to write down, some practical takeaways. Just in case, I want to close with some practical things that you can write down. It's the acrostic worthy, W-O-R-T-H-Y, worthy, you're worthy. W, work on eliminating these negative attitudes and beliefs. They all, don't beat yourself up, they all come to us. They all do. These negative attitudes, these negative beliefs, these lies. So work on believing truth. Work on thinking Philippians 4.8, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Look at things like, I will not wallow in, in feelings of self-pity. I will not hide my feelings or refuse to face them, but I'm gonna believe the truth. So work on eliminating negative attitudes and beliefs. O, obtain a biblical understanding of having love for yourself. A biblical understanding. The two extremes is, hey, I love myself too much and I'm prideful and I'm arrogant is over here. And over here is, hey, I don't love myself enough. I think I'm worthless. I can't do anything God asked me to do. There's a balance. I'm not to love myself with conceited love, which is pride. I'm to love the truth that God loves me and he has purpose for me. Of course, the whole entire law is summed up in a single command, right? Galatians 5, 14, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you need um, any resources on that, let me know. There's no shame in that. I work at it all the time. Who am I in Christ? My identity. Seeing myself the way God sees me. It's hard. Reach out to me. R, refuse to compare yourself with others. Man, this is a whole sermon in itself. Social media. Social media. I'm not anti-social media. My wife has more social media than I do. She's more spiritual than me. So I'm not anti-social media. But listen, comparison is a joy stealer. You're wanting joy. You don't want to be depressed. There's a lot of factors with that. I get it. But that's one of them. Be careful in comparing through social media. One of the main reasons we're struggling with insecurity is because we're comparing our behind-the-scenes day-to-day with everyone else's highlight reel. Hashtag social media. Is that right? I don't even know. Hashtag. 
My kids are going, what in the world? (laughs) And so I will not measure myself by others. And we do it. This isn't like Jerry. Some of you are like, dang. Some of you are like, awesome. It doesn't matter. This is what God has for me to do the best, the way he's gifted me, the way he's gifted you. I will thank God for what he has given me and for what he is making of me. T, thank God for his unconditional love for you. Get outside yourself. Matt, hey, it's not about you. It's about me. It's about what I wanna do in and through you to help others. Yeah, but God, I, I want credit. I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna save that marriage. You just do what I've called you to do. You work hard. You improve, yes, but I'm gonna do it. Thank God, even when you don't feel like it, I will choose an attitude of thanksgiving even if I don't feel thankful. That's the problem. Some of us are waiting till we feel like forgiving to forgive. And this is a struggle for me. I thought I was great at forgiveness until I got married. And Lindsay really doesn't do a whole lot wrong. <laughs> it was me. But if I wait to forgive, I'm never going to. Is that biblical? No. So don't get stuck in your feelings. I will spend personal time with God, thanking him for his unfailing love. Two more, H, hope with full assurance in God's promise to mold you to become more like Christ. I think part of the problem is we want to get from one, one being bad to 10, we're drive through society, to 10 today with whatever that issue is, right? Fix me today. And God's saying, hey, it's a personal journey. Growth is a process. You gotta realize that. Psalm 48, nine, we meditate on your unfailing love. Philippians 1, six, he who started a good work within you will be faithful to complete it. So why? Yield your talents and your abilities to helping others. I'll be generous with my God-given gifts. I won't hold them in, but I will share them to serve others. Some of you need to look at that here. With your money, not just money, with your time, with our talents, how do I serve? Because God has given you that ability. I will realize my God-given worth as I focus on others. So in conclusion, as the band comes back up, as John comes, the question is, what is the lie that you're believing? It's not a fun question, but, the, but not to stay stuck there. What is the truth that you're going to believe instead Colossians 3.2, it says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. It starts with asking God's help. 
to believe who he says you are and to see yourself in others the way that God sees you. Pray with me.